0: Prince is dead, Pete. Better call Saul it is over, Starring and we got really lunatics. Right and we got lunatics skating around on the old hockey ice, dropping hard Fs. All things that will be discussed in this episode. Uh, Very all over the place. So for the gay stuff, we talked to Steve Buckley this week, which was awesome. Steve Buckley, of the Boston Herald. He invited us into our uh, his home to do. The, the podcast today so that was cool because we're trying to do more on location things and his house is dope awesome. yeah. so we did that um, we talked a little uh, Prince with, with Buck as well I think that can be the uh, that's sufficient for Prince talk uh, Buck does not watch Better Call Saul though and we were pretty adamant that we had to talk Better Call Saul this week so we'll get into that as well uh, all that and more on a very special edition of Brunch Lunch. Lunch. All right, Pete, everyone got pissed at you again for the thousandth straight week on Twitter? I wouldn't say everybody. There was a select few. Uh, well, you found yourself in the middle of it again. Well, just for, you, you own the hockey Twitter playoff gif portion of the internet, so you're going to be in the middle of everything anyway. But the the Andrew Shaw thing happened. Um, You gave him the greatest nickname ever. uh, Hot Dog Water which we can get into. But um, I mean I guess just the the whole situation with Andrew Shaw dropping a hard F and uh, Yeah which people
1: actually blamed me for by the way. Like for blowing up his spot. Like I was the only one who could have ever seen that. Like I put the gif on Twitter um, and it kind of blew up from there. But I mean like it was caught clearly on camera. It wasn't like me yeah. being a snitch.
0: <laughs> yeah. And also, I mean, if it's that easy to, to lip read, then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, uh, Joey Mack texted me
1: during the game and he was like, Did you see that? And Oh, really? And, yeah. And he was like, Did you see that? So, um, Joey Mack dropped uh, Diamond out his boy Shore. Yep, exactly. And so, uh, he that's a second straight year, actually, that Joey Mack is kind of like tipped Put me you off up on to, game. to rat somebody out because last year he um tipped me off about a player biting another player and i ended up grabbing video of that interesting so
0: joey mack the snitch so this week's episode has steve buckley uh of the boston herald which we're psyched that we're actually in his home this is an on location episode um which is i mean we're always on location because we're in your basement usually <laughs> but this is this is very nice thank you for having us steve
2: Glad to be here. Well, I guess I shouldn't say that. Glad
1: that you're here. I'm home.
2: So when you you do these in your basement at home, Pete? Yeah,
0: we have a studio in my basement.
1: So that is you should so. Come check it out sometime. Like, so cool. We had you on for section like. ten, um, which we record down well, there as yeah, well. Yeah, you said,
2: can you, can you come on out to the studio in Waltham? I thought I was going to come out there and it was going to be like you know Warner Studios or something, some big. <laughs> One thing day on, we're actually on so,
0: so, so this will be the second week in a row in which we tease that uh, we. At some point soon, Brunch, this podcast, is going to be sponsored. And we're a f- we're, we fear for the world what's going to happen once Brunch has money to spend on doing shit. So like, we, we got you for free, which we're pretty psyched about. But we're going to be able to, to finally pay Sinbad to come to Pete's house. and
1: I think we're a ways, a- a ways away from an actual studio, though. Yeah,
0: that <laughs> would By be- the way,
2: before we continue, your idea of having the Kings... Wear the old purple uniforms as 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 an ode to Prince was awesome, and I spent the morning on on YouTube trying to find the Beverly Hillbillies episode with Jethro Bodine. <laughs> Down the stairs, wearing a king's uniform, you can barely see the fur. but it's not what I was looking for. But it's still pretty cool. I sent it
1: to you, by the way. Yes, I uh, I very much enjoyed that. It was uh, pretty <laughs> funny way before my
0: time, but I enjoyed it. I'm in favor of the kings wearing the the purple uniforms regardless, just because they're dope. But uh, I yeah. do,
1: I do like the the black and, and silver, but I, I mean, like the old school, like I think it, they called it the forum blue, which okay. I, is that is the forum blue the purple or. I don't know. But the purple and gold color scheme that they had back in the day,
0: loved it. Mm. So part of this conversation is the Andrew Shaw thing. I mean, we'll, we'll hit on the hot dog water thing, which is very important because, again, that's I was a huge fan of that nickname. I didn't even understand it, actually. I, to t- I texted you uh, the morning after, and I was like... <laughs> Why is everyone saying hot dog water? You'll know. <laughs> You're like, because I started calling him hot dog
1: water. It was like for the dumbest reason, too. It's like there's no reason behind the nickname. It was just me tweeting out because I don't like Andrew Shaw. I never liked him, really. He's one of those guys that you hate if he's on the opposing team and you love him if he's on your team. But I tweeted, out, I was just like, Andrew Shaw looks like he bathes in hot dog water.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> so It's a good visual, <laughs> but <buddy>. Brian <laughs> Lambert <laughs> also had, you uh, said, uh, Bart Simpson called. He wants his Sunday school hair back. You know, <laughs> oh, when like, it's...
1: What did you think um, of the suspension as a sports person and as a gay person for the one game? I'm less bothered by suspensions and firings and
2: gallows and prison time than I am on the acceptance of culpability, which is very big to me. And every time somebody trips one of these wires and says or does something that causes people to be offended... And, and listen, there are people who are professionally offended. There are people yeah. who go through life finding things to be offended by. I choose what to be offended by depending on how it plays and how I feel about it deep in the belly. It's a case-by-case basis. Um, yeah, one game, five games, a beating in the town square, whatever you want to do. I just want to see if the guy says, boy, I screwed up. I feel bad. That to me is more important than anything. Now, I've been, we may talk about this in a bit, but I've been locked I've been on lockdown with Kurt Schilling for two days and that whole transgender mess, and I talked to him the other day for half an hour, wrote a column that was in the Herald. So I haven't investigated the shot situation to the degree that obviously you guys have because you're hockey uh, people. And yeah, it's bad, evil, bad guy, boo, and, and all that. And what I don't know, and I know the suspension, what I don't know, and this is the one piece of the puzzle missing, and you guys can help me out, was there culpability? Did he put it saying, oh, I screwed up? Or was it just, if I offended anybody, which is, to me, I can't stand that. Hmm. When you say, if I offended anybody, what you're saying is, I don't give a damn. But if you're bothered by it, sorry, okay, bad me, you know. Um... So what did he do? I mean, no, he, did, he did
0: eventually he did the Todd Bertuzzi thing of, like, like he was mortified with himself yeah. and all that. But initially, yeah. he... But the most telling thing is, is he was asked about it immediately after the
1: game, and he, and he said, I don't remember what he right. said.
0: So, like, eventually... He Which, got, by the way, uh,
2: in, I don't know that that's the case, but I've been around sports long enough to know the... Hey, I was going to say purple haze, but the, um, the, the, the haze that players can be in during a game that they're all juiced up, they're, they're chugging Red Bull, they're getting knocked around. And I do believe that athletes can be in a different place during a game, and that's why when they have what's called the 10-minute cooling-off period before the clubhouses and mm-hmm. locker rooms are open, uh, that's not far off the mark, because you, I don't know that I want to interview an athlete as soon as the game is over, because these guys, are, these guys are mental cases. They do need to take their bodies and their minds to a different place to compete. Is that what happened here? I don't know, but in the grand scheme, it does happen.
0: I think that uh, I can remember if, if I if I u- use if I call somebody retarded or if I call somebody a sped or, or say something in a derogatory way, like I kind of catch myself, like it, it stands out, like whether mm-hmm. or not I do I do it purposely or whatever. Like that's kind. I mean, I was in a group text a couple weeks ago uh, with friends, and I said something, and uh, one of my friends dropped a hard f in response, and it. The same time, two other people in the group text yeah. were like, "Wow, we're dropped so like we're we're doing this. We're like we're dropping hard f's." Like I think that when you say shit like that, it stands like it stands oh, out. I forgot we're doing a podcast. You can use cuss words. All right, oh yeah, we can. Well, let me
2: give you two things. Um, I covered the two thousand World Series, and Mike Piazza's up against Roger Clemens. They had already had a couple of beefs during the season during interleague play. Sox uh, Mets against Yankees. Piazza swings. On the swing, he shattered his bat, and the bat shard went up halfway up the field toward the pitcher's mound. Clemens comes off the mound, fields the broken bat as though it were a baseball, realizes he's holding a piece of broken bat, and throws it at Piazza. Now, why would any normal, rational person think
0: that, oh, you. you, Well, they had a good relationship. They were just kidding with each other.
2: Yeah, (laughs) but but, but, the thing is, he was just out of his mind at that moment. I covered a game at what was then called the Sky Dome back in the 80s, and Tony Fernandez was shortstop for the Blue Jays, and he grounded out to short, and Tony Pena was the Red Sox catcher at the time. I think it was Tony Pena. And he was running up the line to back up for his base, as catchers will do. And it was 1990, actually. I forget. But um, as, Tony P- as Tony Fernandez is running back toward the third base dugout, he comes upon Tony Pena's mask, and kicks it to the backstop as hard as he can. Why did he do that? <laughs> there was no bad blood between those two guys. And after the game, he said, oh, boy, what was, what was I thinking? You know. So, I mean, these things happen. Yeah, but and, I mean, I, you know, I'm not defending Sean. Sure, yeah, He's was, was was bad. No, just to be clear, there, there is no defense here. I try to, like, offer a different viewpoint on things sometimes. And, I'm listen, it was dumb. It was offensive. And, and it, it particularly galls me because I, I've been one – who, as you guys know, like, like, adored the Bruins growing up. It mm-hmm. was like as big to me in those days as baseball. It was and is. And I've been saying for years that 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 hockey is the sport when it comes to decorum and seeing the big picture and social graces and so forth. And, I, and for years I've been saying that the first openly gay player, now Jason Collins came out mm-hmm. in the NBA and Michael Sam in the NFL. Uh, but I was saying that hockey would be the most welcoming environment for an openly gay player because I just know the players. I know the mindset. There's much more of a team playing in in hockey because you obviously can't succeed in hockey without the guy passing you the puck and so forth. Whereas baseball is an individual sport and so forth. Um, And uh, that this would happen, that we would be having this
1: discussion about a hockey player disappoints me. And, I mean, hockey has the You Can Play project, which is... Brian Burke, yeah. Yeah, and, I mean... Uh, Patrick it's, Burke. It's, yeah, it's not just hockey, but I think it's the strongest in hockey because, yes. of, because of Burke. Um, so, I mean, the You Can Play project was with the Blackhawks, like, oh, two weeks prior to this happening. I didn't so, know that, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, that was another thing that was brought up, and, and they, I know they contacted the league immediately after it happened.
0: I mean, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is... Uh, We've come a long way. They don't say that shit as much as they used to and everything. I but was I less
2: offended by what Shaw did than by what Rajon Rondo did. Because Rajon Rondo, as I recall, ran up the court, chased down Bill Kennedy. Found a gay, who, who, yeah. Who found a gay reference. Everyone knew was gay. Mm-hmm. Everyone but me. And But within the circles of the NBA, it was widely known or believed or whatever. Um, I don't want to supply too much conjecture here, but I guess that he knew that Kennedy was gay and, and targeted him. That to me was 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 premeditation, and look what I'm going to do, and I'm going to get you, and all that. And Kennedy subsequently came out, and that's a great story. Um, that that whole tale resonated more with me than what Shaw did because he's
1: just a Womack sitting in a penalty box screaming. Stuff right. Out. Um, not that that. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of people, a ball. lot of the mentions that came back towards me on Twitter was like. It's not a big deal because he wasn't meaning it as an offense to gay people. He was just using it as, you know, a word that, you know, will, aff- like, the strongest word that he can think it's
2: of. the whole Louis C.K. thing. I mean, he, yeah. does, he does a whole riff on that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which, is, which is funny, but that's, he's a stand up comedian yeah. on a stage. People are paying money knowing they're going to walk into the Wang Center or whatever and, and get that brand of humor, which is really good, delivered precisely with great great writing uh, by Louis CK so we, we, we're all in on the joke when, when an athlete does it and, and, and people still don't get it that if you're 14, 15 years old you're wrestling with issues of sexual orientation and then you hear that it, 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 it can turn all kinds of stuff inside your stomach and um, I'm way past that and, but, but I do know what it's like and I get emails all the time from people who are wrestling with this and and that's when it can really hurt. If you are if you are young, closeted, dealing with it, questioning is a new is a new buzzword now. And then you hear that. What if you're a big Blackhawks fan? What if you're like got the Blackhawks shirt on? What if you got a Shaw sweater on? You're sitting there watching the game, and all of a sudden, oh, it it can be really disappointing. So it's and I mean, it can be crushing.
0: I th- I I think someone tweeted it. May have been you, Pete. So I mean, it's regardless of whether or not you're offended by it, somebody's offended by it.
2: Yeah, and it, it's. And again, I'm it's, not playing I mean, this card you're, you're, of like I've never said
1: dangerous, anything offensive you know, that's before. That's a dangerous whatever, territory but. too, because people can find offense with pretty much anything. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, but I mean, like in this case, it's also a fact like you're. It's dangerous territory. Like you don't know who who on the ice might be closeted. You don't know who in your locker room might be closeted. So if I mean, if you're just if you're throwing that out there, I mean, that can offend people and make it makes it a hostile work environment.
2: Well, there's actually a term for it. It's called
1: casual homophobia. Yeah, and casual homophobia
2: is. You're a player on a base. There was a, a, a guy up in Maine, James Nutter, University of Southern Maine, who contemplated suicide because he was so unglued. He played for the University of Southern Maine baseball team, which is a really good nationally recognized Division II program. And boys will be boys. And there were, there was, there were a lot of F-bombs being tossed around in the locker room. And it got to the point with him quits the team, he's drinking, he's got the thing of pills sitting at home, confesses to his parents, I have a major issue, you got to do something and um, Outsports.com wrote a really great piece on it and uh, and I've met James I actually knew James's father 30, 40 years ago when I was like in my 20s, uh, working up in Maine, so I had a little bit of a, a, a plug into that story but James is just this kid playing on a college baseball team, hearing that and so don 't tell me, get over it, not you, but uh, if you are closeted questioning and so forth it can it can really knock you down, so uh,
0: Pete and I on the podcast frequently uh, call each other gay and esteem how <laughs> cool being gay must be. Uh, people took offense with that on uh, to a tweet that you had, Pete, which was basically. It was something like before you make fun of gay people, like go to a gay party or something. Like
1: people who... I
0: said, Should I jump in here now? I basically, I basically said uh, the people who think that gay
1: calling somebody gay is an actual insult clearly don't hang out with gay people enough because gay people are basically awesome. I said, people
0: stopped like asking me if I was gay like maybe five or six years ago once it became very apparent that gay people were cool. And they were like, dj's definitely not cool. So... <laughs> Can't so nice. this is my spot where I jump in and say that a bunch of people had
2: a big birthday p- party for me last Saturday night here in this very house where there were more than 100 people, where Pete was invited, and Pete chose not to show up. Pete, I get it. We're just <laughs> professional acquaintances. Was it the you know, same you, night? You don't, you don't want to be seen with me outside of, like, <laughs> these
1: things. Mm. Uh, so I will govern myself accordingly moving forward. I was working ahead. It, was, it crushed <laughs> me inside to, to be able to say, I can't go to Buck's birthday party at his house. you better than Karabas that was, who simply forgot. Yeah. Yeah, who <laughs> forgot and had the chance to, to recover and didn't do it. He
0: still could have come, and then, yeah, we were texting back and forth, and the, the crux of his thing was, I really want to be there, but I don't have a card, and I would feel so bad if I came without anything. And I was like, just fucking show up, man. Just like,
2: fucking show up, yes.
0: And it was, a, it, if I may say, Buck, the party fed into the stereotype perfectly. Oh, did it? Good. I'm, I'm happy very to hear that. Yes, I'm happy to hear it that. Was eclectic is the word
1: I choose to use. So people got uh, a little offended by that. A small section of people. Um, me basically stereotyping that gay people are fun. How well, it's kind I? of, I mean, in well, a way
0: it can be kind of like have a nice day racism, which is like the unintentional, like, oh, how... How, how fun being gay must be Like you must dress nice And everything like that I mean, I'm not fun I have surrounded myself With people who are
2: fun That's a
0: fact I would disagree You also <laughs> actually If I recall correctly When you uh, when you came out um, On the big show Or that you came out With a column And then you were yes. On the big show that day That day uh, One of the best Weiner line calls Ever was saying That uh, you were The shittiest gay person Because of how poorly You dress <laughs> And I was like Bam Got yeah. him Yeah and, uh, you know, I
2: wrote a column about a month ago, the International Figure Skating Championships were at the Garden. And in the column I wrote, look, I don't know a blessed thing about figure skating, but here I am at figure skating. And in a column, you can go into first person. And and somebody sent me an email saying, like, you know, you're gay. Just admit that, you know, it, you know why, why are you so, like, uptight about that? It, it, you have to admit you don't know anything about figure skating. You, you know. And I... Like I don't know, being gay has nothing to do with it. I don't know figure skating, and I'm not ashamed of that. But you want to talk Broadway theater? I'll kill you. I know more about like like Gypsy, 1959, Ethel Merman. 1975, The Revival, Angela Lansbury. 1989, The Second Revival, Tyne Daily, St. James Theatre in New York City. I don't York think it's
1: gay as much as it is fartsy and you have some <laughs> fartsy qualities as well. I also, so, I also have no idea what our Broadway spectrum of brunch is. Like, I don't know how many people who listen to brunch will be like, oh, right, that all those Broadway facts.
0: I actually am quite ashamed that I don't know musical theater very well. Which, I, I know what I know and what I know is, is gay or straight depending on
2: your perspective. I'm into a variety of interests in terms, you know, American history, obviously 20th century, 19th century history, I can crush. Broadway theater, uh, stuff like that. Uh, then you get into fashion. Um, what are the other stereotypes? Fashion, uh, figure skating, the, the other stereotypes. Well, then then I'm kind of walking around blindly. That's just mm. the way it is because my interests are my interests regardless of whether or not I'm gay or straight. And I know people... I know gay people that, that are, if you go to Cathedral, which is sort of a gay sports bar on Washington Street, and we've done events there uh, with the WEI, and if, if, if you go to Cathedral and there's a game on, it's just a big bunch of loud, drunk guys. Not necessarily drunk, but you know, you fall, that they're gay or straight means nothing. They're just as pissed off about the Bruins and Patriots, Celtics and Red Sox as anybody else. And try telling them, try pulling that gay stuff with them, and they'll,
0: they'll they'll kill you. I mean, they they they're so into sports; it's not funny. Do you, as a gay person, like when straight people jump on all the fun gay stuff? Like, pizza fan of gay weddings. I've only been to gay bars a couple times. Huge, huge fan. And I've spoken to gay people who are like. Don't like leave, leave us alone. Like
2: don't there, there is one thing that uh I'm not I'm not pissed off about it, but I can see why people are getting it's like, pissed like we're fair up. weather fans. It's the straight women who at Bachelorette parties go to gay bars and take over the gay bar hmm. and and they think because they're straight women they can go up and like Are you gay fierce like, uh, I love like, you guys like yeah. uh, and uh like go away. I'm here I'm trying to pick up a guy. Go, get away. <laughs> and um so so you you go to um uh, various gay bars in Boston, and and I, I don't get out a lot at night because I work at night, and um, but every once in a while I'll pop into like Club Cafe or Cathedral is a is a good place for me because I know everybody there because it's a big sports place, um, but if you go to some of these places and and on a Thursday night and it's like girls' night out and twenty of them take over a gay bar, uh, there's, there's a lot of people get pissed off about that. I, I choose to be bemused by it, not pissed off by
0: it. I mean, you've been everywhere. How is Boston as a gay city? Oh, I think it's awesome. Yeah. I mean,
2: it, it's uh, th- there, There's so many accoutrements in place that weren't in place twenty, twenty five years ago. Um, well, the Gay Softball League, the Beantown Softball League, has, I think, been going since the 80s. And that is that is a very, very hardcore group. Uh, the Flag Flag Football League is big time. They have a dart league Monday nights at Cathedral there, and, and again, if you go back to the 80s, uh, and this is one of the reasons that, that gay bars aren't necessarily the be-all, end-all anymore. Part of that, obviously, is the internet. But partly, too, because gay people, are, it's easier to come out now in your 20s than it was back in the day. You can form peer groups. You can join rowing clubs and drama clubs and reading clubs. It's, there's a club for everything now. So you, you can go to all these different events without having... To stop in at Club Cafe, not that you shouldn't go to Club Cafe; it's a fun place and so forth, Um, and it's kind of a nice dress-up place and so forth. But there's just um, so much more to do in Boston uh, that's not clandestine. Whereas, I guess you know, I mean, if you go back to the the 40s and 50s, there was a gay bar on Cambridge Street across from where the Holiday Inn is now. I think it was called Sporters. And, and old timers would tell me I was, like, you know, knocked three times. What's the password? Swordfish. All right, come on in. And there was a lot of that going on. You go back before that. It's badass. Yeah, you go back before that. There was a um, uh, a, a group called Mattachine Society, and you could get their newsletter sent to you in a plain brown envelope uh, with no return address on it. And, uh, um, and and that's how gay people communicated, you know, in a in a time before I was born. So now the the community is much more easy to find and to join.
0: And I think it's, I consider it very vibrant. Could you have had your career if you did come out in your 20s?
2: Yeah, but I get asked that all the time, and um, probably not to the degree that I have now. I mean, I've done all right for myself. Um, but if I, had, uh, if I had come out in the 80s when I was covering baseball, yeah, that would have been difficult. Um, I, I can't say my career would have been ruined. Maybe, I, maybe I'd have been a trailblazer. As I wrote in the Herald today, my process in coming out was talking to the editor of the Herald, uh, Joe Shaka, talking to Hank Hernowitz, who was then the sports editor, um, took Glenn, Glenn Ordway out to dinner. Went out. He took me out to dinner, and he paid, and um, said, Look, I'm going to come out as gay on the radio and, and write this column and so forth. Then I write the column, then I put it in the paper. Well, it was January 6, 2011. And you go into that with a certain amount of confidence because it's January 6th, 2011, and it's not January 6th, 1981. And um, the real heroes these days, are the, the transgender community, because there's so much more yeah. that goes into that. I mean, there, there's, there's surgical procedures, there's psychologists, there's clergy, there's family issues. There's, and there was a guy that called the Dennis and Callahan program the other day. I so wished I could have called in and said, get his number, Blue-collar guy, probably didn't even know what transgender meant 10 years ago. Well, lo and behold, he has a daughter. And as he said on the radio, I'm paraphrasing, he could tell moving forward his daughter was probably a lesbian. And, and, uh, but then she came to him and said, I want um, gender rearrangement surgery. I want to be a man. And, and this guy did the research, and he said, this is my flesh and blood. This is more important than anything in my life. And this person's going to have my full support. And his daughter is now his son, and he couldn't be proud. And, but this person had to be confronted with that. And otherwise, maybe have just gone on with his life. And, and so these people, what they go through, the transgender community, uh, that, that, that is still some rough terrain for that crowd. And and transgender people have all my support and blessings. Uh, Stephen Alexander, who's a coach, down, uh, middle school, high school uh, soccer, basketball, softball coach down Rhode Island. He's in my Shilling column today, and, and I've
1: met with him several times. Great guy, and uh, and his story is pretty impressive. And I was going to say, uh, for anybody who hasn't read the Shilling column, I mean, you, I saw you mention on Twitter that you like Shilling. I do. And what did you? Uh, what do you think um, about you know him? His firing from ESPN. I'm not a fan of people
2: being fired for what they said. I'm a fan of culpability, as I said. The issue I have with Kurt then and now is I I don't really hear the culpability. And I understand people are going to say, well, Stephen Angry Smith says this, and and this guy says that, and they get away with it, and Kurt Schilling. And and, uh, and, and there's room for a healthy debate on that. And ESPN does seem to pick and choose when to bring the hammer down. And Schilling is a repeat offender. Uh, there, there was the whole thing on extreme Muslims, and he gets upset because people conveniently drop the word extreme. I'd have to go back and reread other people's prose to see if that's the case. All I know is that, look, he retweeted a photo that I found very offensive about transgender people. He says, well, I didn't do the mem; It's someone else. Well, yeah, but you take ownership when you retweet it. You endorse it. Now, sometimes people say things really, really stupid, and it's so stupid that I'll retweet it just to like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, I don't think that was the case here. Um, and then he put a comment uh, that, that, that buoyed the cause of the person who came up with the mem, And it offended a lot of people. It offended me because, again, the transgender community is, is very tightly knit and needs more support from more people beyond the transgender community. And I think that's what he missed. And that, that, am I, am I upset he was fine? I'm not upset, but I, I think they could have done a better job. Of, and this is what I hope to do in my column. I, I quoted Steven Alexander and I said, Steven Alexander is a Red Sox fan. And he loved Kurt Schilling in 2004, well, Bloody Sock, and all that. This guy's a Sox fan. And now, one of the guys he rooted for in 2014 has done or said something or written something that he individually finds offensive. And how cool would it be if those two guys could go grab lunch sometime and just talk things over? That I think is more productive than mm. than gallows. Yeah,
0: my thing with with him, and I mean, I have only met him a few times. Always, I mean, he's he comes off as a Christian, you know. Um, he's always nice to me. I think that his freedom of speech, to a degree, is being respected. Like it's not he wasn't arrested over this. I think yeah. that I, I mean, ESPN has the right say enough is enough especially when he's a repeat offender so yeah, i have I mean, no problem with being can't
2: include the workplace that that's that the yeah, government
1: can't come down right, on right yeah, you yeah i that. think you know i had people respond to me saying you know what he can't he can't have an opinion yeah you can have an opinion but you also have to respect the employer's right to be like hey stop doing this and if the person doesn't stop doing it it's a fireable offense. Yes. Well, I mean,
0: if, if one of us goes on EI and we start dropping hard Fs or N-bombs or whatever, we can't be like, oh, well, like, uh, our, our words must be respected. Like, you, you, you can be punished for it.
1: You have a right to be ignorant, but yeah. you also can be punished for being ignorant. So mm-hmm. that's It's weird I mean. because
0: uh, some of the
2: positive responses and some of the negative responses that I'm getting from this column of, of, of flying in all directions, uh, the bottom line is that... that Schilling was supportive of me when I came out, and uh, I've had a good relationship with him, and that's why I
1: approached it from that perspective. I think it also applies to the Shaw thing. It's like, this stuff doesn't make you inherently bad.
0: So I, I actually want to make that point about Andrew Shaw. I don't come away from that thinking that Andrew Shaw's a bad guy. I'm frustrated when he does the, the, the kind of... Um, like One of my buddies just plus. came in. I'm doing yeah. a podcast. I'm like really hip in
2: 21st century Tim. Just, <laughs> just want you to know that.
0: <laughs> All right, go ahead. Continue. Yeah, uh, yeah like, I I don't think that Shaw's uh, a bad guy. I think that it's frustrating when he plays the "oh, I don't remember" kind of Andrew Ferentz card. Like I, I think. I mean, you, you said earlier that maybe who's the guy that been clipped
2: been... the referee a few
0: weeks about a month? Oh, Dennis Wiedemann. Weidman. Dennis, yeah.
2: uh, Dennis Weidman, former Bruin. Yeah. yeah. Um, was he just out of his mind?
0: Well, he there was a debate. The, he could have been concussed. Been concussed. Oh, yeah, well, um, but yeah, I, I but don't I think that don't you're buy... a bad person if you say those things. Like I, I, I treat it almost like I treat the Jonah Hill thing. Like I don't think that. I think that he reached for the worst thing he could say. I think my yeah. frustration is that that is the go-to. And I mean, we can debate what what is he better off saying? Is he better off? Dropping a sea bomb is he better off you. calling somebody retarded? Is he better off threatening to kill them? I mean, none of these things are productive things. You're from I,
2: Boston. You can say
0: retarded. <laughs> yeah, Come on. I, you know what? I'm so proud that I don't have a Boston accent. <laughs> I'm soup. That's like one of the three cool things about me. Danny Picard just turned off this podcast. <laughs> right. um,
1: no, I, I, I also don't think the uh, the in the heat of the moment. I know we talked about this earlier that it happens like heat of the moment, but. Do you think that, like, heat of the moment, excuse... Like, if that's not a part of your vocabulary to begin with, does that come out in the heat of the moment? Can I just say, why
2: isn't Danny Picard in every movie that's filmed in Boston? I
1: have no idea. That's...
2: Every single movie, because I, then people like, get would me, shout
1: at the movie screen. Uh, he's like, "That's a over portrayal of a Boston." X. Get me a
2: Danny Picard type. You know, I think that
0: uh, I think th- this this has a national audience, so we don't we don't get too Boston <laughs> specific too often on this. But uh, we, we I think that there way way are under there are underappreciated people in the Boston sports media, and I don't so I don't want to say that Danny is far and away the most underappreciated because mm-hmm. that would be a disservice to That would be a disservice to a lot of great great people. But Danny Picard is. Excellent, and for a town with two radio stations, I think it is a sin that he's not on every day. Okay, that's my little truth. Sign me up. That's my little truth. For <laughs> good a guy. He's a good guy. I've done yeah. TV with him. Yeah, were you guys Prince guys?
2: <laughs> oh, you you were going to do the Prince. I was a Prince guy to the degree that, as we've discussed, uh, um, I, I like what I like, and it's more background music for me. I, I very seldom go to concerts. Um, oh, that's I, horrible. Well, I go to theater. I go to like off-off-off Broadway theater. I've been traveling for 30-some-odd years in sports. If I have an off night in Cincinnati or Cleveland or someplace, I find some piece of theater to go to. I don't do it as much as I used to, um, but I used to do it for years, and it was my, or museums and stuff like that. Um, I finally saw Springsteen. A couple of years
0: ago at Fenway. Oh uh, fucking speaking of stereotypes, fucking <laughs> and, sports writer. And but it was my first time. It wasn't like I you know, McAdam Bush I think Stearns. I'll never see him just because I don't
2: want to oh. feed into that stereotype. But but I don't feed into the stereotype, which is my whole point. Yeah. Is is that that Springsteen merely to see a, a, a pop icon social phenomenon, the whole bit, it was it was an opportunity to see Springsteen. Hmm. Now now I can name Sean McAdam, Butch Stearns, Kirk Minahan, and more people, those are just three that I know, that can give you every single date, the weather report, you know, what they were wearing uh, when they've seen Springsteen. Um, I'm not of that ilk. I like his music. I liked Prince's music. Did I ever see him in concert? No. A buddy of mine just texted me, saw him in Vegas, and that there was a rumor, a buzz making the rounds at this venue in Vegas that... Later on that night, like at two a.m., he was going to do an unscheduled set at a small bar in Vegas. So he was just yeah. going to show up there because he wanted to work on some stuff. And this friend of mine and his friends showed up in, at like you know Joe's bar and the, Prince is performing, which like wow. So like I was I was really upset uh, when a buddy of mine told me yesterday that Prince had passed because uh, enormously talented, yeah, uh, fun to watch, great music, but. But I'm not a, uh, a a Prince devotee to the degree that I could tell you the dates of all the concerts and all that stuff.
0: My, uh, one of my friends yesterday, uh, I hope I don't get the statistic wrong, but since 1978, which was when Prince started releasing music, there's only been nine years in which Prince didn't come out with an album. That's amazing.
2: And uh, if, if you go, to, um, I believe it was Tyler Kepner from the New York Times, put a great thing on Twitter yesterday. He's a very good baseball writer at the New York Times. But in the 1980s, he was an intern at the Washington Post, and they received communication that Prince and Muhammad Ali were going to do some kind of a meet and greet at a hotel, and that they were invited to attend. And the Washington Post said, well, you have no one to go. We we don't care. So Tyler, who was 20 years old, said, well, can I go? Yeah, sure. Here's the pass. And Tyler Kevner actually sat in a conference room at a hotel in Washington, D.C. for whatever charitable event whatever it was muhammad ali and prince and he got to meet them and like that is really cool
1: that's awesome i huh? will say i uh i like prince's music but i liked prince more than his music
0: yeah that's a cool way of putting it yeah just like him as an individual yes well that's the thing i he's going to be remembered as like the cool guy from minnesota but i'm afraid that he that over time, he'll be remembered for fashion reasons, for all these different reasons. But it's it's fine to remember him for those things. But I hope that his actual virtuosity as a musician doesn't get lost. Because like he was a, I mean, Eric Clapton said, called him the best guitarist ever, and I mean, he could shred. So I, I just hope that that doesn't get lost. I've never seen Paul McCartney before, and the one time I had, I'm at the Super Bowl. That's really probably, yeah. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, Houston, I think it was. He was the halftime show one of the Patriots Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. I on uh, un- I couldn't go the last time Paul McCartney was in town. I had tickets. I forget what happened, but I couldn't go, so I had to get rid of the tickets. But uh, Paul McCartney's coming to Boston uh, this this summer, and I was on the fence about whether or not I would go, and Paul McCartney's probably like my number one for me. Um, I like i like paul mccartney so much that i feel i'm not worthy to actually go see him that's wings the, too or? wings fucking love wings okay just want to make um, sure some
2: people there some of the hard go oh they they, they dis no wings, no so. i
0: i i love it um yeah. and ram's one of my favorite albums so even though pound for pound george is probably the best post Beatles. beetle but anyway i love paul mccartney uh prince dying locked down that I, I will spend the money and go to see Paul McCartney this yeah. summer. Yeah, well, we're I think with Paul people. McCartney
2: is in. You know, I'm old enough, just barely, to remember the, the splash the Beatles made. I remember when the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan that we all sat around the TV side. I remember that vividly, and. It, it was a big deal. They played at the Garden. I wasn't there. Sean McAdam was at the Garden. His yeah. Parent, he's like six years old. His parents brought him to the Garden. That to is see unbelievable. The, because parenting. they wanted, they, they basically held him by the ears. Look at this. <laughs> and so, because they, they had the wherewithal to, to recognize that the Beatles were going to be culturally significant and they wanted their son to appreciate that, which is just, what a blessing. And so I grew up with the Beatles, huge Beatles fan. And, beyond the music and the talent and so forth, I've always been a fan of Paul McCartney on a different level in that he, it's sort of damning him with fame praise, but that he has survived at the, to this point in his life. He, he has not had the crises and addictions and pitfalls and so forth that so many people, I mean, you, you take young people and throw millions of dollars in fame and glory and, and sex and all that stuff at them and then expect them to brush their teeth and go to bed at 11 o'clock. It's not easy. Right. And, uh, He's almost boring because he yeah, have yeah, all those things. and uh, you know, and and I go back to the days of you know Janis Joplin and uh, Jimi Hendrix and you know and, and Jim Morrison and like just like dropping like flies yeah and and you know just dying horrible horrible deaths and and in in here's Paul McCartney who is elderly man now and and has not only survived but in my view flourished in his life. We want to thank Steve Buckley, sports <laughs> columnist of the Washington Herald, for being on our podcast. You can He's check a, out his.
0: Well. So are you? So is it Steve underscore Buckley on Twitter,
2: or is no? It, 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 if if uh, if I can get like a bunch of Twitter followers out of this, because I'm in, I'm all in. How many Twitter?
0: Do you have more followers than Pete? Pete, by the way, I want uh, to make Pete this point. Pete and Jared of like mental cases. Pete is like he can't miss a three right now. Pete is really his yeah. really feeling it these last couple of weeks. How many
2: followers you got, Pete? Uh, twenty five thousand now. Twenty almost twenty four. Well, I'll tell you what I told Jared because I'm actually ahead of you right now, but when you pass me, you will pass me forever. And then I, t- I said that to Jared. He was like, and he's being fake humble. Oh, I don't know about that. Or and um, and then he passed me,
0: and he, he's passed me forever. So it's all right. <laughs> fake humble that exists a lot in the media. All right. Well, thanks, Buck. We we appreciate you. No, it's a you.
2: pleasure. And uh, it, it is at Buck in Boston. Punch.
0: All right, All uh, right. What'd you think of? What'd you think of Better Call
1: Saul? I thought the finale was great. I thought the entire season was great. Um there was I think there was w- only one episode where I was like, "Ah, I could have done without that episode," but I forget which one it was to be honest. Uh
0: so here's my thing with Better Call Saul. This is not a complaint. It's just more a realization. I think the show may never be exciting. Um it's always going to be interesting, but it is just it's not breaking bad. And that's that's fine, but it's its pace, is obviously, is much, much slower. It's not frantic. It's not frenetic, uh, which... I just kind of expected that to be the case with Better Call Saul because I mean, because I thought it would just be more like Breaking Bad. But I'm totally fine with the fact that it's slow moving, that it's not hectic. See, I think that the show may pick up the
1: pace when uh, Jimmy becomes Saul. Like, I think that's when we can really explore like the really weird shit that that Saul Goodman gets involved in. And I think that the the potential of the pace picking up is there. Uh, The only thing that i can complain about right now is that they try to build up uh like a lot of drama with the uh the two storylines with uh with jimmy and with mike and uh like it's hard to do because we know where their characters end up yeah we know what's in store for them so like jimmy we know it like we know that Jimmy is gonna have to change his name for some reason. He, we know that he's gonna have to break off from from Kim and you know, start his own practice and, and whatever. We're getting towards that, but we know that something along the lines is gonna go really wrong and he's gonna be forced to to go off in his own direction. And with the same thing with Mike, like we know that that uh that um what's his name? Tuco isn't isn't gonna die. Right. We know that that uh
0: Don, uh, Salamanca. Don
1: Salamanca is not going to die, yeah. And we know that Mike Ehrman like is going to eventually. He's going to stay out of prison. He's gonna. Not, he's not going to die as well. Like
0: I actually, this shows times. how basic I was as I was watching that. I was with it, the scene where he's in the desert and he's he's got the gun trained on, uh, or he's at least trying to get a good uh, shot on uh, Salamanca. And I was like, oh fuck, what's going to happen? And I was like, oh. idiot like he's gonna be okay and eventually he's going to be in a wheelchair and um yeah uh i I had this conversation yesterday with somebody about it the reason i think it's not so frantic and it's not as crazy as breaking bad is because most of the characters are in position to calculate their next move and Breaking Bad is about a guy who, even though he at one point might get a handle on it, is just Way so far right. Yeah, like in so far over his head. And my friend um, raised a good point, which maybe the only time we see it in the entire series so far in Better Call Saul is at the end of the penultimate episode of uh, season two when he, when Jimmy is watching um, Lenny or Squiggy or whatever the, the his brother um chuck chuck yeah i forget which that blew my mind by the way that that's the guy from laverne and shirley um anyway when he's watching uh when he's watching chuck in the go through his yeah whatever medical um shit storm he's having like that's like the one time where someone is in kind of panic mode in that show so again i don't have a problem with it but i guess i'm just still getting used to the fact that it's well
1: it's a very different show than breaking bad for sure yeah and uh like my thought the entire time in season two is like this show has no business being as good as it is why like, because the story itself like he's got a whack job brother like they're going in through like legal yeah yeah troubles that like who gives a shit about, like, uh, what's it called? The the banking company that... that Mesa came, Verde. Mesa Verde. Who gives a fuck? Right. They don't... It doesn't mean anything. But that's Vince Gilligan, though. Like, Vince Gilligan's
0: really good at that. Well, he that's
1: could... what I'm saying. Like, they, they, the show has no business being as good as it is, but it is because Vince Gilligan's a fucking genius. Right. And, and he... the show does so many things so well. And like it's paced so well, and they tell the story incredibly
0: well, and like the detail is unbelievable. My so my we should have just had my friend Ryan uh, on this episode because he was just crushed. His uh, fiance is a lawyer, and he was saying like, this shit is like as boring as they make it to be. But like, they can make a scene where um, Wexler and the guy who always wears the uh, knit ties are walking down the hall and meeting with the Mesa Verde people and they're not saying anything to each other and then they turn on the charm once they walk into the room. Like, yeah. that's like... That's that like a, awesome. a thing. That's like yeah. an exciting scene in that show. And he's like, that's like as mundane as that kind of life is. So, like, it's not totally glorifying it, but it's it somehow makes it interesting. Yeah. So, I... um yeah, I mean, I think it's great. It's it's my favorite show that's that's on TV, and I'm okay with like with Breaking Bad. If there was a particularly slow episode, I think I'd be bummed about it. Like I I didn't like I think I think that fly is the worst episode in this series. Yeah. Um, which that's not a that's not a an unpopular opinion. I think that. Usually, bottle episodes. Well, aren't well I mean, liked. Vince
1: Gilligan himself said that he was like, "I will never do another bottle episode." Really, because yeah. he because Cause he didn't he was like, like fly. Re-
0: he like, I really regret doing fly. Wow did you uh, Did you watch Community? Uh, no, I. It might still be on, but I mean, it's been dead for a while. Like, you know, no one still watches yeah. it. Um, but see, it's it was good for like two or three seasons. I want to say and. They had a bottle episode about a pen being lost. And it was like the best... It was like one of the few interesting bottle episodes I've ever watched. Interesting. Yeah. Um,
1: I, we've talked about this in the past, but uh, Better Call Saul isn't one of those shows where it's like background noise. Like The Walking Dead, you can have it on. You can be doing something else. I get, get so stuff much shit done during The Walking Dead. Um, I think that for as mundane and boring as like the, the plot lines are at points... It's never it's never a turnoff where you're like uh, I'll do something else like you are so engrossed and wrapped up in the storyline as shitty as it may be in in terms of context but like the way that they tell the story is just unbelievable. How long do you think the show can go? Like how long? Like, well, that's the thing. It's like right now they haven't even. They're gotten in no into rush. Yeah, yeah. Bit. Which is unbelievable. Like it's going to happen at some point, and I think I'm sure that Vince Gilligan has a time frame on it because he did with Breaking Bad. Yeah, and that worked out really well. Um, And they and that's the thing. I think you know if you have a a a solid time frame, you can really position like okay, at the end of season two, Jimmy will be will like force himself into like a blackmail situation, force himself like and at the beginning of season three, which I think is going to happen, Chuck can can tell Jimmy. You know, I can charge you with a felony right. here. Or, like, stop embarrassing the family name and go change your name and do your own practice. Right. So, uh, I think that there, that Vince Gilligan probably has a timeline, and then he's sticking to it, and that's why the pace is so good because
0: he's already planned it all out. I don't. Is it? Is it conveyed in Breaking Bad how long Saul has been Saul? No, I don't think because, so. Because, like, could they conceivably? make him become Saul next season, and then do like five years of him as Saul before he meets Walter White and Gus Fring and all these people. I
1: I mean, I think so. I think that that Saul is
0: like a really established
1: lawyer by the time by the, that you're he right. meets yeah. Walter White.
0: But the thing is, you assume he is, but I don't think that's necessarily it's, shown. I mean, it's, he's he's I got this the commercial and everything, that. but we've seen in Better Call Saul that he can... Throw together a good commercial yeah. without any sort of resources. I mean, he has a
1: lot of billboards. He has clients. Yeah, There's that's times true.
0: When when uh, when
1: uh, Walter and Jesse storm into his office right. and it's kind of busy there. And yeah, he, business he is booming. A, he has a bodyguard on payroll. Yeah, there are at least Shouts a couple. Shouts to Huell. Yeah, Hule and Hule yeah. and um and Bill Burr, whatever his character's name is. Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, shit. What was it? Uh, he was, um, it was awesome. Seamus like or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I think that there's uh, – I'm not worried about it at all right now. Uh, like, if anything, I'm more excited for what's coming because at this point it's been kind of – I wouldn't say like a slog, but, like, we're all getting kind of antsy where it's like, all right, when does he become Saul? Yeah. And I think we're kind of getting to that point, And so I'm looking forward to seeing, like, the,
0: the shit that goes
1: down once he is Saul.
0: Yeah, and what's, what's cool, too, is I think that all season one, all anyone cared about was, like, all right, get get Jimmy and Mike together, and I think that's kind of the last thing on our, our minds at this point. I yeah. mean, now we're now we're equally invested. Yeah, in... Yeah, because
1: both storylines are just as
0: good. Right. Um. Yeah, I think that the stuff with Mike and the the Salamancas is, is awesome. And shouts to to uh, Nacho, huge fan of the Nacho character. We we yeah, tried to absolutely. get him on, and we we just couldn't find how to get in touch with them so we suck but um yeah shouts to that guy I will say I thought season two was much much better than season one um I thought season
1: two was unbelievable but I will say that season two lacked like the un unbelievable episode that like stands out from the rest all of them were pretty much were pretty good yeah uh, but season, yeah th- there was season no one, like was oh no, my God did
0: you see there
1: was no Mike airman trout episode yeah. from season one
0: yeah i think yeah there there wasn't any episode where right after or the next day it was like holy shit this is the best show on tv i still believe it is but there's there was no episode that totally totally stood out to me maybe i mean maybe the second to last episode
1: i also think that that people just don't really talk about this show i mean maybe it's just me and the circle that i hang around with but like this show doesn't really come up very much in terms of of, you know, talking about it. I know, like, The Walking... Like, we always go back to The Walking Dead, but, like, The Walking Dead, every time there's an episode, it's like, what'd you think? Right. We're like, how's it going? Like, are, are you pissed off yet? That's the thing. It's like, it's bad. And when you, you talk about it, when it's bad, because you're, like, you're fired up. Right. But, like, the show is so consistently good that there's not a lot to talk about. Other than just being like, how good was Better Call Saul last right. night? Yeah, so uh, it's not discussed. I don't think, at least not in in my experience, it's not as discussed, so it kind of flies under the radar.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, that that also plays into just because it's not as crazy as Breaking Bad was. Like every episode of Breaking Bad, it seemed there was some sort sort of holy shit. I can't believe they did this scene. And Better Call Saul, I mean, doesn't seem to want to go there. And, I'm, I'm, again, I'm fine with that as long as it's super interesting, which it has been.
1: I will say I do miss the – from Breaking Bad, one of the things that I love the most is that, like, you had to pay attention for clues and they would foreshadow all the time. And uh, there was, you know, like, like these crazy themes and stuff. Like, you had to pay attention so much to, to Breaking Bad. And I, I haven't caught anything –
0: uh, at this point, with Better Call Saul, well, they say that the ep- have you heard the shit about um, the first letter of the episode titles? Yeah, it was like, like it spells Fring is back or Frings, back or Fring's back or something. Which I don't fucking. Uh, of course, at some point, Fring is going to be in the picture. Like I, I yeah. don't think that's a real thing. That I mean, if it,
1: if it, that if that's a if that is true, because I haven't gone back and looked at the. The first letter of every yeah, episode. I have. I'm just buying. But if that's true, I mean, I'm sure it was done on purpose. That's way too much of a coincidence for that to be the case, especially with the way that that Mike's storyline concluded in this season yeah. with like the note on the car. That that's probably Gus Ring. Ooh, mm. I think that that there's a good possibility that that's the case. Um, so I'm
0: a, I'm basic. I didn't even think about it. I just assumed that Nacho put that there.
1: No, I, I mean he had his eyes on Nacho the entire time, pretty That's much. That's true. What so, <laughs> uh,
0: I think that it was. There is a good chance it was Gus. Um, well, I, I don't think that there was any sort of question, though, that Gus Fring was going to be in the mix at some point, right? Like, no. was there was Giancarlo Esposito like keeping it under wraps and not?
1: I mean, I haven't heard anything about him coming back, but I did notice one of the things that I did pick up on um, from the the finale, which was like a. Uh, a thing that i was like oh this is pretty cool um he when he showed his uh commercial to kim i think it was kim when he showed the commercial the, the new commercial oh yeah it was kim when they were waiting in the lobby in the hospital for chuck okay uh, so when they watched jimmy's commercial on tv the next commercial that came up right after it it was it was like a commercial for the um uh like repellent and it said weasel like right on like in big letters I, yes right after jimmy's commercial came up and i was like i see you vince right i see you that was on purpose
0: yeah i i, I noticed that as well um yeah
1: so F- where do you stand with uh the jimmy and and chuck relationship
0: like so initially i really really didn't like uh chuck i am admittedly with television an ageist. Um, <laughs> I, I tend to not like uh, characters who are either old or like extremely limited in some way. I like people who are like that, but for whatever reason in television, it doesn't do the trick for me. Especially if they complain a lot. Um, so I was not a fan for those reasons. Not because he was particularly old, but uh, like with the Chuck thing, I was like, all right, I get it. You're you're sensitive to electricity. Fucking calm down. Like, yeah. we all have our problems. Um, that
1: whole thing is like, it's very, I, I don't need that.
0: Right. So I didn't, I, I thought it was an interesting choice, bold choice, not the one I would have made for the show. Yeah. I would have just, I would have just gotten rid of that altogether, but. Um, because it makes him seem like a huge whack job. And it, I mean, as we
1: find out, that's not really the case.
0: Yeah, I mean, he don't he's really got know his... where
1: they're going with it. to Right, be honest. he's
0: got his kind of faculties about him, and I mean, as we see at the end of season two, he's definitely sharp as a tack still. So, uh, I think you could make him like a her- like a hermit without being
1: like here's a weirdo who's got like a yeah this maybe made up. Have you? I was going to say, have you ever monsters? even
0: heard of that? No, I guess that's the that's the point to to have that.
1: But I don't, yeah, I don't I know. know. It it was a little too far off the deep end for me. Um, but I.
0: I See, I, I Especially when like I don't know if this is a bad thing to say, but like the other illness that we deal with in this series or in this this world is a guy having cancer and then being forced to fucking make meth to get out of it. It makes us a little less um sympathetic of somebody who has a light sensitivity and yeah, is being exactly. a dick to his family over it. Like Walter White had to do much worse shit with much worse circumstances, dude
1: and it's it's almost kind of the same uh premise
0: of breaking bad where it's like you have
1: Walter White and you're rooting for him and you like him but you know he's not that good of a guy. Right. And it's kind of the same with both Jimmy and Chuck because you know Jimmy's kind of like a scumbag but like he has great intentions. He's just he like doesn't play by the rules and sometimes he goes too far um and then with Chuck it's like He's so he's such a strickler for the rules yeah. that he will be like go out of his way to be a dick.
0: So here's my my thing. I think that Jimmy is a worse person than Chuck, but Chuck is a worse brother than Jimmy. Like I think that for all intents and purposes, Jimmy, th- there's a loyalty that exists uh, from Jimmy to Chuck, and I think that Chuck at at every turn wants Jimmy out of the picture professionally and will fuck him over.
1: I think Chuck is selfish. Chuck yeah. is really, really selfish. Uh, he, like, his, the only thing that he cares about, really, is is the law. Yeah. And like, his career as a lawyer. And so, he'll screw over anybody. He'll screw over his own brother. He'll throw his brother under the bus.
0: He's not if, very nice to Ernesto, either. No, I must say, no, that's who we not. should have gotten on from this show. Yeah, we should right? have gotten Ernesto on. We'll have him on to talk about something completely different than, than Better Call Saul. Um, so...
1: I, I think that uh, Jimmy is, you know, probably like a worse person morals wise. Yeah. But yeah, I think that you're right. You're, that Chuck is super selfish and, you know, does things that will screw over people that he that he supposedly loves just to like stay in line with the, the career that he chose.
0: So I'll give another example of it being boring but um but still really, really interesting the shit that Jimmy pulls with the copy shop, that's like this season's version of when Mike finds out where they hide the money and he does all that shit with the light uh, in in the house and everything like that. That would be a pretty small thing that would be glossed over in Breaking Bad, I feel like. And you're on the edge of your seat for the whole thing. So uh, that was well done. Um,
1: One of the things that uh, I didn't really need uh, in the final episode was uh, when Ernesto was in the when uh, Chuck was confronting Jimmy and Ernesto was in the room and Ernesto backed Jimmy saying that he called yeah. him because ultimately you end up at like the same the same conclusion like that's a waste of time essentially because uh, Chuck ends up finding out anyway right so Jimmy could have confessed right there and it would have put you in the same position. Besides the fact that that Chuck doesn't have definitive proof, but you could have you could have wrote it in. when yeah, he yeah. was recording the conversation. Um, see, I, I like that is. I thought that was unnecessary, but at the same time, I get why they did it because it kind of goes back to the point where it's like Ernesto likes Jimmy more than he likes Chuck. Even he though he has Chuck to work with Chuck
0: the, every day, how the fuck would you? He likes. Everybody, he likes Andrew Shaw more than he yeah. likes Chuck.
1: <laughs> well, it go well. It just reinforces the fact that that Chuck isn't really likable. Yeah, and here's Jimmy. and He's like this charismatic guy, and you know Ernesto knows that that Jimmy like really bent the rules and did something kind of fucked up and screwed over his own boss, but still dislikes his boss to the point where he'll back Jimmy just because he likes him more.
0: I can feel that. I mean, I like my boss. I get, shouts to Rob Bradford, but like I could see that. Like if the guy you deal with every day. I mean, I, I was. I'm gonna make a Sopranos reference. Um, it won't make sense for you, but for the listeners, uh, Bobby with uh, whatever the fu- the old guy. I don't even if know you're his make name. A because Sopranos
1: reference. Fucking make a Sopranos reference. Hammer hammered home. Know what you're talking about. I
0: can't because I almost. I also kind of get work done while I watch the Sopranos, which makes me a bad guy. So I found out actually uh, yesterday in a 10 minute span that. Two of the main characters in The Sopranos and Prince died, and it was horrible. Wow! I was watching it episode. I was you. watching the second to last episode of The Sopranos when I found out that Prince died. So like shit was going down in the show, and shit was going down in real life. It was heartbreaking. Uh, now that Better Call Sauls Dunzo are, is there any redeeming thing to to watch? We you don't, we don't do Game of Thrones, right? I do. Yeah, I'm a Game oh, of Thrones guy. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited for it. Um, I will say I have officially quit Fear the Walking Dead.
1: I quit after the first episode.
0: I haven't gone back in yet. Uh, I might at some point, but... I quit. I'm just going to have to be... It's I'll need to be bored Which enough. is
1: hilarious because we talked about... We spent... The the (laughs) earlier days of the podcast talking about how good Fear the Walking Dead was. It was better than The Walking Dead, yeah. Yeah, and like more excited for where it's going than The Walking Dead. And The Walking Dead was fucking pisses off to no end. Right. And yet I'm still done with Fear the Walking Dead because I feel like it's early enough that I can quit Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah. So
0: I'm not, I mean, I'm not back into it yet. I, I think I'll check it out at some point, but I'm too behind on Nashville, which does not fucking happen with me. Um, what else am I behind? I haven't even started uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt yet, which, fuck you. You're going wa- to watch you, it. Did you watch all of season one?
1: I watched like half of
0: it. Oh, my God. It wasn't
1: like I watched one episode and was like, nah. I gave it a shot, and I just wasn't into it.
0: Okay. Oh, man. I have to, I've got a lot of television to watch. I still haven't watched The Wire. Have you watched The Wire? Yep. I have the box set. So basically, for all of you listening at home... There's still a lot of things that we can touch on that we haven't yet. So I would love to so do don't a wire, wire week. A, wi- a, wi- a what do you mean a, w- a week? A week of like of- a week of shows? Yes. There's th- it's good enough. That would be unheard of.
1: Yeah. No.
0: There's no way that we would ever be able to do that. A week long podcast. How could that be done?